This is episode 36C of the Future Intelligent Leadership Podcast with Dr. Shelby Nguyen-Vogus and Dr. Thomas Malin. This is part of a special series of podcasts featuring chapter authors from the book Leadership for the Future. Welcome back to the Future Intelligent Leadership Podcast. If you're interested in innovative wisdom and practical tools for leading in a complex, uncertain, and exponentially changing world, then this podcast is for you. Aloha and welcome to this episode of the Future Intelligent Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Mongan, co-founder of Haku Global. We're an organization dedicated to helping leadership navigate a complex, uncertain, and exponentially changing world, which is driven by a emerging tech future. So if you're interested in learning about Haku Global's future intelligent leadership training programs and how you can develop future intelligent leadership and scale that across your organization, then check us out at www.haku.global. Aloha and welcome back to the Future Intelligent Leadership Podcast. We are continuing our special series of interviews with chapter authors from the book Leadership for the Future. Today's guests are Dr. Thomas Malin and Dr. Shelby Nguyen-Vogus. Thomas Malin is CEO of Digital Clones, Inc., which focuses on systems integration concepts for targeted sustainability programs. Thomas has published approximately 20 scientific papers on various aspects of stellar physics, chemical composition, and methods of spectroscopic analysis. He utilizes his experience working with organizations to develop strategies that enhance knowledge-driven leadership for mastery of the unexpected. In the second interview, I'm joined by Dr. Shelby Nguyen-Vogus, Associate Professor at St. Edwards University. She's responsible for overseeing revisions to curriculum and program design, development, implementation, and assessment initiatives. She's advised graduate students developing, designing, and teaching graduate courses situated in emancipatory, interdisciplinary adult education and the practices of adult learning theory. I hope you enjoy these interviews today with chapter authors from the book Leadership for the Future. Let's listen. Okay, so welcome, Tom. Thanks for joining me today to talk about your chapter in this new book, uh, Leadership for the Future. Um, love to hear what your title of your chapter is and for you to give a brief overview for the audience. Certainly, certainly. Um, so the title for this chapter is, is Mastery Over the Unexpected via Knowledge-Driven Leadership. Hmm. Uh, the basic point there, um, the basic jumping point is that uh, we'll investigate uh, the COVID-19 crisis of the last uh, now nearly two years uh, to demonstrate how a knowledge-driven approach uh, could have maybe forestalled a lot of the uh, troubles and discomforts that we experienced. And um, so the uh, the approach I took was the, uh, the knowledge-driven approach that we used at NASA to deal with unexpected issues. I was a contractor there at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center near Washington, D.C. And a friend of mine and I developed those things into a um, a, a business primer for handling unexpected things. We called it optimizing luck because um, we had a lot of dumb luck that we could optimize and on some of the NASA disasters we had to uh, fix up. So that's uh, that's where that comes from. So I tried to generalize that to a, 
a, a much larger framework than than just a, a, a space mission. Mm. What, what briefly? What is the kind of the idea behind that, or what's the framework in a sense? Well, so uh, there are a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I spend quite a bit of time in the beginning of the article to just really drill down into what is usable knowledge and and how does it collect mm-hmm. and how would you as an organization, a leader of an organization, pull something like that together or how could you direct your team to take a knowledge driven approach and then well how do you pull those resources together how do you learn from them and then based on your experience how do you feed that back into your knowledge base so that it's a dynamic continuously usable thing uh, so that was kind of the start out and uh, and i don't drill down deeply into the nasa thing but that's what's in my mind yeah. when i'm you know putting these constructs together it's largely real science driven things so mm-hmm. uh you know i'm not trying to tr- train anybody to be science scientists per se but it's how we generate the knowledge from unexpected findings or or you know how we get lost in the dark being scientists because we're always working in the dark and that's not just an astronomy joke it's it's really <laughs> it's uh it's it's hard when you're facing something you've never faced before and uh, so you, you've got to be systematic. You've got to keep track of your mistakes or your trials and, and, and so forth like that. So how do you build a knowledge base that you can apply? Mm-hmm. And then I make the last uh, half of the, the chapter uh, basically a series of little vignettes on how a knowledge-driven approach uh, could have either shortened the, um, the uh, suffering of various parts of the market or maybe avoided it altogether. That's great. You know, so the title of the book is Leadership for the Future. And I'm curious, you know, why you think that that that's an important topic right now. And also, how does your your work really help to address that? Well, I you know, I the future is kind of always about the unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> if we would have said, uh, you know, if you and I were, you know, having drinks two years ago today and said, uh, geez, you know, things are kind of moving along pretty good. 2020 is going to be the magic year, right? Da, 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 da. <laughs> and I would have probably just said, yeah, let's have another, right? And and that, that would have been it. But um, if, on the other hand, uh, the systems that we were living with at that time and are still trying to recover had a whole lot more resi- resilience than they demonstrated this, this coming mm-hmm. year, or the, you know, given the drinking session of two years ago, <laughs> um, uh, that that resilience did not appear. It, it, it mm. um, uh, things fell apart. I mean, you know, you couldn't get garbage collected. You couldn't get, you know, bread at the store. Um, and even now, you know, I, I did a little traveling to visit family last month and would stop at restaurants. And, and some of these places had one server, one cook, mm. one bartender, and they're scrambling to service maybe up to, you know, 12, 15 tables and it wasn't getting done. Yeah. So, I mean, I understood this and, and I, look, I'm, I'm going here. I'm going to have a nice time. Service is not the object. I understand the situation, but off in one corner, somebody was getting reamed really badly. Mm-hmm. You know, and the customers were, I'm the customer and boy, they were nasty. Mm. So even now we're still suffering in, in so many ways not smoothly recovering from the situation. So 
the presumption is the future will have more unexpected large-scale events of this kind. So hmm. um, it's not an attempt to predict the future, but it's an attempt to have principles for managing it, whatever happens. That's great. You know, and what is one key takeaway from your chapter or from the work that you've done in the past um, that you'd like to leave for future leaders? Well, the, uh, the one thing that um, I think is not commonly believed among, you know, large swaths of, of leadership um, communities, you know, if we talk business in particular, there really seems to be an abiding faith that nothing will ever go wrong. <laughs> and so I take the contrary view and say, you know, stuff always goes wrong and some of it's worse than others. So uh, there's a couple of things we can do. We can say, geez, you know, when something does go wrong, we can actually look up previous solutions, whether it's in, you know, business case studies or recent news articles or whatever, and see well, what solutions have been applied. So we can at least save a little bit of time mm-hmm. in responding to the unexpected trouble. Um, the, the next thing we can do is we can actually build a corporate culture that has this anticipatory feeling. So mm-hmm. look, the, the things that happen in the future could be bad, but they could be good. And if we're too flat footed to respond to opportunity, we're in just a bad shape as if we hadn't had our fault tolerant uh, insurances in place if, if disaster struck. So we take the view that it doesn't matter what the change is. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to respond. And in many cases, an initially negative looking situation can be converted into a very powerful opportunity. Um, if for no other reason is that you're the first one who does recover and sweeps in to take, you know, do the cleanup that makes the money or mm-hmm. whatever it is you're trying to do. So that preparedness of attitude and a preparedness of culture um, was what I was wanting to support. And I might not have been as explicit about that idea in the chapter, but that is the real bottom line intent. You know, that culture mm-hmm. of preparedness. Um, doesn't matter. You, you are going to be blindsided. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, spend enough time whining to get it off your chest, but get back into learning and those solutions that you need will develop so much more quickly. And um, so that would be, to me, that's the big takeaway. Just you're going to be facing the future. It's, you know, they talk about living in the day. Mm-hmm. Enjoying the day is great. Being mm-hmm. successful in the day is great. I wholly affirm that. It's the future that's going to blindside you. So this is the um, the point behind uh, having those knowledge bases ready to engage when those unexpected changes occur. That's great. Thanks, Tom, for your time today. Really uh, appreciate that. I look forward to um, seeing the book completed out there and other people reading it. Yeah, it'll and, be fun to see what everybody had to say. You know. Yeah, and getting feedback yeah. on it. And um, so if you haven't got a copy yet. Uh, please go out and get it. And thanks again for Tom for joining us today. Aloha. Yeah. Well, thank you for the time and the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Dr. Wing Vogus, for joining me today. Um, we're going to be talking about your chapter in this new book, Leadership for the Future. And so if you could give us the title of your chapter and a little brief overview of what it's about. Thanks so much, Tyler, for having me and for inviting me to discuss um, my chapter entitled Discerning the Past to Lead the Future, Social Justice as a Roadmap for Leading Higher Ed Change and Transformation. 
Um, this, this chapter was actually written after I taught an inaugural course in a doctoral program titled after the same. The class is called Discerning the Past um, to Lead the Future of Higher Education and Change. Hmm. Um, and so I had such a rich wonderful experience working with students in this program and after so many of our collaborative discussions and so much of their really um, powerful student work um, I got the call for this chapter and I thought it'd be really cool to turn all the things that we did from that course into a textbook chapter mm. um, so I, I kind of gave this um, gave this creative work a little shout out to all of my cohort one students yeah. in that program <laughs> um can any, what are some of the key components of that so some of the key components of, um, of this chapter itself is really kind of getting into um, the context and, and sort of the current climate, including COVID um, and including like where we've been in higher ed um, and this call for transformation in leadership um, in our own thinking, right? We know that across the landscape of higher ed, um, college completion, um, competition in the marketplace and cost itself are some of the biggest challenges of 20 21st century ed. Um, and when we know that we have students enrolling in higher ed like never before, and we're continuing to sort of continue to hover around that 50% completion rate, we know that like these problems were there long before the COVID context. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we draw on a lot of um, a lot of what those systemic and historical structures are, how higher ed and institutions of higher learning in general are very stubborn, stagnant systems, reluctant to change. Um, and in all the ways that the 21st century context is crying out for change, um, and so the class itself and this chapter um, really underscores some of those some of those historical challenges brings this and threads it into the context of now. And we discuss a lot about how the Black Lives Matter contemporary social movement um, sort of illustrates some of those social justice features and serves to drive some of the transformations across not just the historical structures themselves and the learning modality, right? Um, but the, the approach to learning itself, how we view the learner, what impacts learning. Um, and so we invite a lot of new thinking in the chapter by integrating the relevance of 21st century learning um, and considering how authentic transformative mm -hmm. leadership um, is helpful to realize and inspire that higher education change. Um, so I offer a little bit of a summary um, and implications um, and how those sort of guide discourses regarding like policy and practice. Um, and then I offer um, sort of, um, you know, a conclusionary shout out to the triangulation of what I like to call the triangulation of critical reflection, narrative and experience, right? How you can take all three of those things, critically reflecting about yourself, what your story is, all the experiences that you have and how generating meaning within the discussion of those three things kind of compels you forward and, and helps you stay rooted in your values and then how you can live those values in terms of the work that you do and in terms of, um, you know, sort of how you invite change in that in those contexts. Well, that's great. And so the title of the book is Leadership for the Future. So I'm curious, um, why do you think that topic's important right now? And also, how does your chapter or your work in general address that? 
Leadership for the future. I think that in um, it's a, such a tough question to ask, right? Um, and oftentimes we have this qu this question that we ask our students all the time. And the question actually comes up um, oftentimes just in casual conversation with my family and friends. It's like, should we teach leadership, right? Does everyone mm. do they need to know how to do it, right? Mm. Um, and like, should everyone be a leader, right? Because I think when you're having casual conversation, um, you just in my my uh, personal anecdote, you know, my husband was saying, you know, like we have too many chiefs, right? And <laughs> and there are there are too many like chefs in the kitchen. And I tend to like resonate with that thinking. It's very culturally, um, you know, sort of anchored in the American narrative. And I think when it comes to 21st century leadership, we all have to, you know, sort of both know and understand leadership mm -hmm. um, from a very personal capacity, but also from a systemic capacity. And whether we like um, or whether we think that it's an essential 21st century skill or not, everyone has to have the capacity to reflect and to be the leader of their own lives, right? Mm -hmm. And to be able to sort of anchor where they've been where they want to go within what their own values, their own narrative, and their own purpose and passion calls for. So in that sense, to me, um, this text really sort of doubles down on how the story, right, how the story functions, how critical reflection mm -hmm. and experience functions in that way, and how we can foster advocacy from the very minute a student steps on a higher education campus and beyond, right? Mm -hmm. um, to think about how how some of those skills transfer to personal advocacy, um, because I think leadership in the 21st century is very much about advocacy, um, mobilizing and celebrating a lot of the things that we know are really missing in our current leadership. It's often mm. talked about um, that leadership is upside down, right? Diversity is upside down. Um, and so we don't see the same type of representation in our leaders that we do in our constituencies. And this mm -hmm. is something that I feel like is truly changing about leadership itself as much more collaborative, diffused um, mm -hmm. sort of sense-making of how we perceive leadership in the 21st century. And so grounded in those 21st century competencies and grounded in advocacy, you can see how leadership is very much a fundamental 21st century skill to teach um, mm -hmm. and to cultivate and to foster both as a student and as a leader. Yeah, it just reminds me, I like to think when I, when I work with corporate teams is that if you can, um, if you can move them into a state where the hierarchies don't, and the stories of the hierarchies really don't, uh, aren't relevant in the moment, then leadership can emerge from anybody. You know, Absolutely. And, and it can fade away too. And then someone else can reemerge and it doesn't have to be a, <laughs> one person or one title. Um, it's like in the moment, it can be the, the, the role of leadership, who's the leader can be shifting um, and be fluid. It's hard to, it's hard to maybe understand that model and operate in it, but it takes practice. Absolutely. That's, yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. So what is a um, key takeaway from your chapter or your work that you would like to leave current um, and future leaders? That's a that's also another really good question. Um, you know, it's hard to pick one, but if mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of stay and, you know, thread across my first two responses, 
I think that it's authenticity. Um, and if you are anyone who is sort of like, you know, in, in the spirit of this diversity upside down dilemma, right? It's like hard to be what you can't see. And there are really a, a, a significant limitation in the way that we see representation and the way we see models of mm -hmm. diversity in our leadership. And so, yeah, the practice and the courage to be authentic, to speak from your passions, your interests, the experiences that have shaped and fostered interest in a particular domain, it can be really tricky and so mm. difficult. Imposter syndrome and the lack of social support and hostility and just the feelings of belonging and difference that come with that are very internal obstacles and create a, an incredible amount of psychological noise that that can be limiting and that can mm -hmm. that can cut you off before you've even gotten started um i think that has absolutely been the case for me i never would have um admitted to myself or even um you know, sort of manifested like a leadership profile, professional profile for myself um, in the past. I never even thought I would continue um, through higher education. And so I was always very surprised to find myself in these leadership positions simply because I use my voice and spoke up about something that, you know, seemed interesting or something that I could get excited about doing differently, whether it was student engagement initiative or, um, you know, leading in an institutional capacity or direct acting um, in a sort of programmatic capacity, um, it's very easy to sort of feel like um, your story doesn't, is not the gold, right? That, it, that doesn't hold value and that it's not, you know, sort of what it's all about. But in truth, it's what it's all about. There is no one youer than you. And there's no one who has quite the lens and perspective to advocate in the way um, that the individual does. And I think that that is such a um, an important takeaway of leadership in the 21st century and future leadership to lean into that voice to lean into all the things that you feel make you different or maybe feel like um, you know give you um, sort of a disadvantage I think the disadvantage is your advantage mm. um, and so I always like to um, you know sort of echo the role of authenticity and continuing to lean into those voices and those feelings that you know sort of give you that affirmation and self-actualize all those hard pieces of where you've been to ultimately where you want to go so that you keep going. <laughs> thanks. That's a great message, Dr. Wing Vogus. And thanks for joining me today and sharing this. And um, I hope people will check out uh, Leadership for the Future, the new book and your chapter as well. Thank you so much for making the time, Tyler. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for joining us today on the Flowcast. To get a summary of today's dialogue, Find out more about today's guests, listen to previous episodes, or discover more about Haku Global's neuroscience-based Futures Intelligent Leadership programs or customized strategic foresight and innovation sprints, visit us at www.haku.global. At Haku Global, we believe it is time for more Futures Intelligent Leadership. The future is something we need to think more intelligently and feel more deeply about so we can collaborate to discover today's solutions for future problems. If you are in a leadership role and need support or training to scale futures intelligence across your organization, then contact us at Haku Global. This is your host, Tyler Mongan, and until next time, have a preferred and conscious future. Aloha.